as I mentioned, we've been spending some time in 1 John to answer these vital questions. What is a Christian? And how do you know that you're a Christian? And we're doing this because there can be a real confusion amongst some, even those who call themselves Christians, about what it actually means to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus. And they may be religious, they may be moral, may have had some great experience, but they don't have that personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And last time I put that question for you to ask yourselves, am I really a Christian? Do I really know the Lord? And we saw that a, a real Christian is a person who's been born again. We saw that the Bible says that being a believer about what God has uh, done is the key thing. It's not about what I do, it's about what he's done. We cannot be a Christian unless God has been at work in us. He is the one who breaks into our lives. He is the one who, who changes me. He makes me new. He gives me to know life in the Lord Jesus. God enables me to turn from my sin and to repent of my sin and to trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work upon the cross so that I can be forgiven and so that I can be made right with him. So a real Christian is a person who's been born again. And we said that a real Christian is a person who also shows the fruit of being born again in their lives. So they'll demonstrate that faith. A Christian believes that Jesus is the Christ. That he's the unique, eternal son who's come down and taken to himself human flesh. That he lived a perfect life. That he bore our sin in his own body on the tree, on the cross. And it's to believe that it's only because our sin was punished in him that God can forgive us and we're delivered. That he died, but he rose again, one day will return. And so when I'm born again, I will believe that. So I'll demonstrate that faith and I'll also demonstrate a love for God. And so a true Christian knows the love of God for them in, in saving them. And so they, they love God with every part of their being. They, they realize they owe everything to him. And they'll also love the brethren, their brothers and sisters. We look at our brothers and sisters, fellow believers, other true Christians, and we see in them those who are loved of God. We see those who have been saved by grace. We see those who have been united to Christ just like we are. We, we see our spiritual family. And so we love our brothers and sisters, another mark, another fruit of being born again. And this morning we're, we're going to come to asking this question, do I believe in Jesus? And we see it in these verses. Now, John began this chapter with loving the brethren. And in the next few verses, after verse 1, he goes on to talk about the faith that is there in the believer in Christ, showing itself in obedience to God and also following his word. And so the Christian is able to overcome the world by trusting the grace and the power and the strength that is given through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then in our text this morning, in verses 6 to 8, John then brings us back to the very heart of the message, the center of the message, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings it back to make the point again that a real Christian, and being a real Christian, is to believe and to know Jesus Christ. He is the focus. 
all life, all blessing, all privilege, all hope, all salvation is in Jesus alone. And if you have a wrong view of Jesus Christ, if you do not know him for yourself, then you have no hope. You see, if everything depends on Jesus, if everything depends on believing in him, the basis of being saved and enduring in this world, my hope of heaven, my eternal destiny, if it's all bound up in the Lord Jesus, then I need to be sure about who it is that I'm trusting. And so being a real Christian is to know Jesus Christ personally, to have a real relationship with him. It's not just knowing facts about him, it is knowing him. And so the question is, do you this morning, do you know him? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And do you believe in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible? You see, the whole of the Christian position rests entirely on him. It's not some vague belief in God. True Christianity is clear belief in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. The Son of God, the Savior of sinners, that he is the only way in which we can know God and be right with God. Friends, the New Testament offers us nothing apart from Christ. And the blessings that come through knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible, centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament looks to him. And so we have to be certain about what the Bible says. And if we go wrong there, we get into all manner of trouble. And so John is writing, and he knows that there are many at that time that are trying to attack what is true. And so he comes again to reaffirm the truths concerning Jesus Christ because there is no hope in this world or the next without him. So he asks the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? How can I know that Jesus is the Christ? How can I know that Jesus is the one that I should rely upon for my eternal future? Now, to be clear, verses 6 to 8, there is some debate about these verses. They're not easy verses. And uh, if you were ever to pick up some commentaries on 1 John, you'd find that there are many different views and different arguments and differences in different Bible versions. But, you know, if you want to spend time looking at that, you can come to your own conclusions. I'm just going to concentrate on what we've got before us in verses 6 to 8. And look at the verses, if you will. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. He goes on to say, there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. So John writes, so that the believers that are in view will have confidence in Jesus. To give sure answers to questions like, can I rely on Jesus in this life and the next? Can I trust him? Is he really the son of God? Is he really fully God and fully man? Now, from the beginning of this letter, John has spoken about the reality of Jesus. He speaks in the very opening chapter of the one he has seen with his own eyes. The one he has touched with his own hands. And so who is Jesus of Nazareth? John says he is the Christ. Yes, he is Jesus. Yes, he is a man. Yes, he was born as a baby and laid in a manger. Yes, he was a boy who grew in wisdom and knowledge and favor with men. 
Yes, he debated with the leaders in the temple. Yes, he worked as a carpenter. Yes, he knew what it was to suffer hunger and thirst and tiredness. He was all this. But he's also the anointed of God, the long-expected Messiah, the one that the Father sent to be the Savior of sinners like you and me, fully God and fully man, two natures in one person, but only one, the God-man. And in our text, John affirms this, and so we have to ask the question, what does John mean when he says that Jesus came not by water only, but by water and blood? You say, well, what is that? What does that mean? Well, there are some who say, well, you know, John is speaking about the crucifixion when a spear was thrust into the side of Jesus and blood and water came out. Well, I've got some reservations about that view. One reason is that in his gospel, John refers to blood and water, whereas the order is reversed here. So I don't think that's what John is saying. There are some who say, well, John is speaking about what we call the ordinances. So baptism and communion, the Lord's table. And again, I would have reservations about that view because it doesn't fit with the point that John is trying to make. John is making it clear that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God come in human flesh. And so as he does so, he's, he's fighting a terrible error that was very popular at the time. There were some that were going around and teaching that Jesus of Nazareth, he was just a man. But when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, the eternal divine Christ came down and dwelt in the human Jesus. And the error said that that continued until just before the cross of Jesus, when then the eternal Christ, the God part, left him. And so when Jesus died on the cross, they said he was just a man. And that was very common. And friends, I'll tell you this, it's also very common today. There are many advocates of that view, and you'll find them on all your Christian TV channels. And they preach this 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 error which is that when Jesus was baptized he received his divinity and then just before he died his divinity left him it's a terrible terrible heresy it's an error and there are always those who try to destroy the biblical message of who Jesus is they want to undermine the truth that Jesus really is fully God and fully man and as the God man he died and rose again but a true believer, a true Christian believes what the Bible says, believes the truth concerning the person of Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he is fully God, and that he is fully man. And so you need to ask yourself this morning, do I believe that? Do I believe that about the person of Jesus Christ? Because that is vital. And then you say, well, what did he come to do? Well, John not only affirms who Jesus is in these verses, but he also says what he came to do. Jesus Christ came to save sinners and to do all that was necessary for that to happen. And even in these less than straightforward verses, John is determined to underline that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the promised deliverer of all who will believe him and trust him. And see the way that he uses the titles of Jesus to add this emphasis. 
Look at verse 5, if you will. He says, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So he's affirming who Jesus is, the Son of God. But then, verse 6, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So he's saying he is the Son of God, and he's the Christ. He's the promised one. He's the one who came to do something. You see, that word uh, came in verse 6 is so important because it means that he came to do something. He came with a purpose. You know, John the Baptist asked Jesus this question, are you the one who should come? You see, the Jews knew that Messiah was going to come and he was going to do certain things, that he had a saving person. In fact, in the Gospel of John, what uh, John wrote earlier, in John 1.17, it says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus brought grace and truth. He came with the purpose of showing those things like never before. And there are other examples, but John, in our text, is not just talking about the birth of Jesus. He's talking about the importance that he came to do something. He came to save his people from their sin. That is why he came. And you say, well, how does the water and blood fit with what Jesus came to do? Well, John is referring to the baptism of Jesus and to the death of Jesus on the cross. You see, the Messiah was to come to deliver his people from sin and all its terrible consequences. You know, the Bible tells us that God created the world without sin. And the first man and woman were in fellowship with God. They knew him. But the enemy was at work, and we know that Adam rebelled against God. We know that sin entered the world, and the relationship was broken because sin ruins everything. And we are sinners, and our relationship with God is broken. Our rebellion and sin must be punished by a holy and a just God. And so we are under God's wrath. And so every one of us here this morning needs to be delivered from the power of sin, both within and the power of sin without the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that is why this is such wonderful news. Because God, in his great mercy, in his love and his grace, sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Savior, as the deliverer, as our rescuer as one who could deal with our sin and take the punishment that we deserve and give us new life and new nature, make us right with God and acceptable to God. And John tells us that Jesus came to do that. Not just to be a, a great teacher or an example. He came to save. And when you consider his baptism, Jesus was baptized to identify with sinners. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus came to be numbered with the transgressors. You know, in the ultimate sense, it meant to take on their sin, even though he himself had no sin. As one says, he who had no sin took his place among those who had no righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he was baptized to identify with sinners and also to give a picture of what he was going to do, of the salvation that he was going to accomplish. Because baptism pictures death and resurrection to new life. 
And so as Jesus went down fully into the water and then up from it, it pictures his own future death and resurrection. And that is why every person who trusts in Christ for salvation should be baptized as a picture of our dying to sin and self and rising to new life in the Lord Jesus. All gifts of his grace. And then the cross. On the cross, Jesus died to deal with the sin of his people. And so it was the fulfillment of what was pictured. The Bible says there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus gives himself to die in the place of all who would trust him. He goes as our substitute. He takes the place that we deserve, the punishment we deserve, the wrath that should come to us. He takes it all so that we can be saved from that and given eternal life. That's why if you read through the Gospel of John, you'll find that John focuses so much on Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as the promised Lamb, that more so than the the birth of Jesus, he looks at his baptism and his work upon the cross. You see, the Lord Jesus not only identified himself with sinners like you and me, but he did everything that was necessary to save sinners like you and me by shedding his blood on the cross at Calvary. And John is hitting home on these two things, who Jesus is, the reality of his person, that he's the Son of God, and what he came to do, to die on the cross to save sinners. And true Christians believe these things. They are front and center because they believe in Jesus Christ and they know him for themselves. And these things are so important and John wants believers to have total confidence and certain hope in who Jesus is, in what he has done and all that it means both for our lives now but also for our future and for eternity. And it's when we are, by God's work and God's grace, able to say, this is my Savior. The Lord Jesus, he is my deliverer. He loved me. He gave himself for me. He's dealt with my sin. And my life is all in him. And we know him. I am his and he is mine. And nothing can change that. Do you know him like that? Do you believe in him? And friends, these things are revealed to us as the Holy Spirit works in our lives and reveals the truth to us through the Bible, through the Scriptures. Look at verse 6. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And so the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he gives witness from the Father of the Son because he is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit always speaks what is true. He reveals truth. The Holy Spirit is always the, what we call the agent of revelation. He's the author of Scripture. He used men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. So wherever there is the revelation of the will of God, wherever there is the witness of God in this revelation, it is from the Holy Spirit. You see this in the preaching of the early church. Peter in Acts 1.15, he stands up in the midst of the disciples, and he says, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. And many other passages talk about the same great reality that the Holy Spirit is the source of revealing, revelation. 
The Spirit reveals the truth. And it is important to understand that he speaks concerning the Son on behalf of the Father. And in our verses this morning, John is underlining the teaching of the Lord Jesus about this that was there in the gospel. Let me remind you of John 14. Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Who is the helper? Jesus says it is, he is the spirit of truth. And you say, well, what will be the spirit's role? Well, John 16, Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare he will reveal it to you. The Holy Spirit shows us these things about the Lord Jesus. And these witnesses, John says, they, they come together, they stand together. And you say, well, why should I listen? Why should I listen to this witness this morning? Why should I listen to this combined witness? Well, look at verse 8. There are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. So you have this threefold witness declaring the truth about who Jesus is, about what he came to do, and we should listen. Why? Because it is the declaration of God. This is God showing these things. This is God revealing, God speaking. And John's message is consistent with the whole of the scriptures, what you find throughout the New Testament, the gospel message proclaimed by the apostles. Think of Acts 17. Then Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. The apostles had those things central. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, that he had to come to suffer and die to save sinners. And John explains of these three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And so we ask, well, how did the Spirit bear witness to the person and work of Jesus? Well, at the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist told the people this. I did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was baptized, as the Spirit descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he bore witness to the fact that he's the promised Messiah, that he's the Son of God, the Lamb of God. So the Holy Spirit bears witness at the baptism. And the Holy Spirit also bore witness to Jesus Christ in his life. You think on the words of Jesus. You think of the power of his works. How do you explain them? John 3, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Lord Jesus Christ, it says, minister in the fullness of the Spirit. So even in his life and his ministry, the Holy Spirit bore witness to who Jesus was, what he had come to do. And then the resurrection, Jesus died and he rose again. Romans 1.4, he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Stunning proof that Jesus' work on the cross, the sacrifice, had been accepted, the saving work done, affirming who he is. And then at Pentecost, 
The Spirit came down in mighty power. Why? To declare that Jesus Christ is Messiah and that he had sent the gift of the Spirit to the church. And the Holy Spirit bore, he continues to bear witness in the life and testimony of the church, the Lord's people, testifying that Jesus is Lord, that he is Savior. You say, well, how does the baptism, how does the water bear witness? Well, not only did the Holy Spirit descend upon the Lord Jesus when he was baptized, but the Bible also says that the Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God bears witness to the fact that this is the Christ, this is Messiah, this is the one who he has sent, who has come to do that work to save sinners, the work of redemption. And so it bears witness who Jesus is, what he had come to do. And then, how does the death of Christ on the cross, the blood, bear witness? How does it prove that he is the Messiah and that he had to suffer and die to save us and to redeem us? How does it show this? Well, when you look to the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, you see this mighty witness that he is the Christ. His enemies had jeered him. They'd mocked him. They'd provoked him. The Jewish people had rejected him and called for his crucifixion because he was not the political and the military deliverer that they were looking for. And as the very Son of God went to Calvary, and as he hung on the cross, we think on those incredible events that surrounded his death. We think of that deep supernatural darkness that came that none could escape. You think of that divine exchange and transaction that took place as Jesus, the Son of God, bore our sin in his own body on the tree and how he drank the cup of wrath to its full. We think of the moment when the Saviour laid down his own life and incredibly the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain separating the most holy place from the holy place, too large, too heavy for any man to tear, especially from the top down. This was God working. And the Father's act symbolized his acceptance of the sacrifice of his Son, that through Jesus, sinners could now come into his presence and had access to the Holy One. And the earth shook and rocks were split and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and seen. It was remarkable, supernatural. And so overwhelming was God's testimony concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that it led even to a battle-hardened centurion who saw all these things and he cried out, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, the gospel preaching of the early church had as its central message Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the message of the Bible. It was the message that Jesus himself proclaimed. Luke 24, remember he's on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection with two disciples, and he says to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And it says, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend, that they might understand the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written 
And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Messiah, the Christ, was to be the suffering servant. He was the one who would go to the cross to be the substitute, the savior of sinners who would trust him. So then I come back to the cross and I ask myself as I look upon the Son of God dying upon the cross, if he is the Son of God, why is he there? Why this suffering? Why this agony? Why the pain? Why the shame? Why the humiliation? Because it was the only way in which the Son of God could save sinners like you and me. It was the only way he could deliver us. It was the only way he could set us free. And so I look to him on the cross and I listen and I hear him say, as it says in the Scriptures, it is finished. And what is finished? The work which the Father had given him to do. The work for which he was baptised the work for which he died, the work for which he became the God-man, the Messiah. Done is the work that saves, once and forever done. You see, the blood bears witness that he is the Christ, that he is the deliverer, that he is our rescuer. Friends, if you're looking at Jesus Christ this morning and you want to find out whether or not this is the promised king, whether he really is the promised saviour and the promised Messiah, here are three streams of evidence that come together in perfect agreement. And by the way, that's totally consistent with the requirements of the divine law. Deuteronomy 19 says that evidence has to be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And so God puts together, as it were, the maximum necessary evidence. And they all agree on who Jesus is and what he came to do. Water referring to his baptism, blood to his death, and the Holy Spirit bearing witness in and through the life of Jesus. They all come together to show, to proclaim, to lay before you that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Anointed One, the Eternal King. And that testimony still speaks because the Holy Spirit inspired the recording of all the Father's testimony. The Father gave his testimony at the baptism of Jesus, at the death of his Son, and he sent the Spirit. The Father, at all these points, gives testimony to the Son and then sends the Spirit to inspire the writers of the Bible to record it all accurately. So it is all there for you this morning. And so anyone who wants to know who Jesus Christ is need only open the Holy Spirit-inspired record and hear the very testimony of God and the witness of God. And that has great consequences. Because if you deny what God says about his Son in his word, you call God a liar. Rejection of Christ and rejection of the gospel and rejection of faith in Christ as the only way to have eternal life makes God a liar. God declares that Jesus is his son. He said he's the only source of eternal life. And so to deny that he is the son or that he is the only source of eternal life says, God, you are a liar. To be guilty of the greatest blasphemy possible. And that is a frightening thing. And my prayer is that you would be able to say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, that's what it means to be a true Christian. Because if he's not those things, then we're lost. There's no forgiveness. There's no salvation. There's no hope. But I thank God this morning that Jesus is the Savior, that he is Lord, that he is King, that he is the Son of God, and that he has done all things well. And knowing him and believing in him makes all the difference in this life and the next. And being a real Christian is to know Jesus Christ for yourself, to believe in him for yourself as the Son of God and Savior. It means believing his person, his work as defined in the Bible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Because if you don't, you're not a real Christian. You might be a religious person, a moral person, whatever, but you're not a real Christian. Real Christians believe in Christ, our only hope. And we look forward to the day when we shall see him face to face. Amen.